Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. My fellow Americans, by now you probably know that um, some words I spoke at the end of uh, my speech yesterday in, in Warsaw, great privilege and honor to be with our allies in Poland and Warsaw. But uh, some words, just nine, that I spoke in the speech, um, made some news around the world because it implied that, uh, or suggested that uh, somehow our policy with regard to Russia has changed in the direction of being for regime change. And the, when I said that uh, President Putin couldn't stay in power, I just, I was, and uh, the uh, other high members of my administration have uh, made it perfectly clear since then that we do not have a, uh, a policy of regime change toward Russia. And um, I, I uh, agree with them. I mean, they agree with me. And it was my going in a way off script, off the prompter, um, because of the emotions that I felt in the, in in Warsaw at that time, which was very emotional. Um, I, I will go back to my prepared remarks for something I didn't say yesterday, um, and that's simply... Hello, welcome to the show. Like sweet morning dew, I took one look at you, and it was plain to see you were my destiny.
From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this, re- uh, this, this particular edition of the show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that was something that we'll have in a moment. But first, these buttons, they all look alike to me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, news of Nice Corp. Nice people doing nice things. Rupert Murdoch, one of those nice people, is selling not one but two New York City apartments in the same building, hoping, uh, of course, to net a nice profit. This according to uh, Nine News from Australia. He's an Australian. Do you know that? Murdoch bought the apartments eight years ago for about uh, almost $58 million American. He's now hoping to sell for $78 million. Yeah, that would be tidy. One of the apartments is a three-story penthouse. Well, yeah. Don't you think? Don't you think he's earned it? It spans the 58th, 59th, and 60th floors of uh, a tower near Madison Square Park. Nice neighborhood. Not the best, but nice. It's in the Flatiron District if you want to go bother him. That apartment has an asking price of $62 million. Do I have that? No, I don't on me. Um, the second apartment is a smaller three-bedroom home located just one floor down. It's on the market for $16 million. That's a steal. That's just a steal. He uh, purchased the penthouse before it was uh, completed, then had it completed to his own specifications while he lived in the smaller apartment downstairs. See? He can compromise. After his new home was finished, he retained the smaller home for staff and guests. Oh, you live down there. Two apartments could be combined with the uh, building's approval. But, I mean, they approved him to live there in the first place, so the penthouse has five bedrooms. I think that's enough for almost. And there's a great room. Um, I don't know if you have ever seen a great, you know, they, that's something that um, is featured by the uh, the luxury homes of the uh, of the elite in Britain, out in the countryside mainly, where there's room for for you to spread out and um, show your wealth. And um, I was uh, at a film festival with a friend a few years ago in Dallas, Texas, in this country. And um, after the film was shown, we went outside to the, uh, we went to this uh, mansion in Dallas, mega mansion, and um, kind of toured through the house. And then the host said, do you want to uh, see the great room? Said, sure, these have been good, but so we walked outside to the back porch, you know, porch, and um, then we're directed to this room to our right, a, a, a separate building, which had a room, two-story room. I mean, room, you know, halfway to a football field, room. Um, and the second floor has bookshelves and ladders, so you can blah, blah, blah. And um, my friend said, when when was this uh, built? And our host said, 
well, in the 1950s when all was good. But back to Rupert. A curved glass staircase leads to the second level. An internal elevator serves all three floors, so you don't have to be able to... The uh, penthouse has floor-to-ceiling windows, views of both rivers, as well as the Empire State Building. The uh, realtor says you can see the ocean on a clear day. <laughs> he uh, previously tried to sell the penthouse seven years ago for $72 million. It failed to sell. I don't know why that would be. And speaking of... Uh, nice people, doing nice things. The Sun newspaper, a tabloid owned by Nice Corp, lost $67 million last year, almost the price of the penthouse. The uh, COVID pandemic and a shift of advertising spending online hurt the newspaper. And uh, its parent company is still trying to end the phone hacking legal cases springing from the scandal that have cost it hundreds of millions of pounds. That's even more in dollars over the past 15 years. So, you know, Roop's got to sell something. News Group Newspapers publishes The Sun and uh, retains liability for the activities of the defunct tabloid, which had also owned the News of the World spent uh, $65 million on legal fees and damages related to historical phone hacking allegations in the year just past, ending uh, in June of last year. In meanwhile, the, most, the, the uh, unnamed highest-paid director of news group newspapers, most likely Rebecca Brooks, the apple of Rupert's eye, received a 50% increase in remuneration last year to $4.5 million, just a little bit more than that. So things are good, but things are bad. There have been hundreds of cases, phone hacking complaints lodged over the past 15 years. In uh, just December, Nice Corp agreed to a substantial settlement with uh, Sienna Miller to ensure her hacking claims did not go to court. Lawyers say there could be thousands of potential victims of phone hacking by Nice Corp's Nice Corp. still to come forward. The uh, decrease in turnover, meaning revenue, was primarily due to adverse print market conditions exacerbated by the pandemic, said the company. There were declines in both newspaper circulation and print advertising revenues owing to an industry-wide acceleration in the shift towards online. Uh, last June, this is according to The Guardian, it became public knowledge that Rupert had written down the value of his Sun newspapers to zero. And uh, last year, The Sun lost its title of UK's best-selling newspaper, which it had, had, had held since 1978, to the Daily Mail. Most of the costs accrued relating to the phone hacking are covered by Murdoch's U.S., based Fox Corporation, so basically I'm helping pay for that. Fox agreed to indemnify News Corp, Nice Corp, when the businesses were separated way back in 2013. So um, 
No, 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 Rupert, don't, don't, don't bother to thank me. It's perfectly fine. It's my pleasure. Next time, Sienna can just uh, contact me directly. And now... We've got the ultra-modern knack Of getting oil from the deepest crack So give the boys just a bit of slack And say a hearty, what the frack What the frack, they sang With Russian oil on the international blacklist due to the invasion of Ukraine, the world is seeking a replacement for as many as $4.5 million barrels a day. Analysts at Reistad Energy Consultancy estimate global trade of crude is down by an average of a million and a half barrels a day. Crude oil is trading at over $110 per barrel. The output of U.S. drillers hasn't appeared to move significantly. One of the key reasons actually predates the war. The special sand required for fracking. Yes, frack sand. Come on, do the frack stand. sand. Frack sand in shale oil production has gotten a lot more expensive. You probably noticed that at your visits. Frack sand is made of silica crystals processed from pure sandstone. The small grain size and round shape that allows natural fluids like oil and water to pass between them. See, one thing oil and water have in common. At a drilling site, sand is mixed with water and special chemicals. You can't know them because they're trade secrets. Then it's all injected into the ground at high pressure to break up the shale to release and pump out the oil inside. That material now costs between 40 and $45 a ton nearly 185% higher than last year. And that's not even at the pump. Two years ago, sand prices were in the teens. Now it's 40 to $45. While some of the frack sand used by drillers in Texas and New Mexico is sourced locally, a lot is actually shipped in from Wisconsin by train. Don't be getting on that sand train. That's heavy. In either case, shortages of labor and transportation capacity have been complicating drillers' efforts since at least early February, according to Reuters. We can't get enough sand, says uh, Michael Ostman of Tall City Exploration, speaking to Reuters. We're running less than the number of fracking stages we could pump in a day because we've run out of sand every day, unquote. On top of those logistical challenges, investors are urging Caution and capital discipline, i.e., don't invest here right now, after large numbers of speculative fracking companies went out of business in the previous boom and bust cycle. I think it was on this program I first learned that uh, fracking wells don't have that long a life, maybe a year or so, and then got to find a new one. Economists at the Dallas Federal Reserve project that whatever additional capacity U.S. producers can develop will take a minimum of six months. That's if everything works perfectly. We don't got six months. We, Even if U.S. shale oil producers do manage to step up production, it may not be sufficient to replace what is missing. 
since shale oil is a much lighter crude compared with Russia's heavier oil. It's not quite clear from this piece in Business Insider why that makes a big difference. I guess we're just supposed to trust them. No, the heavier crude is better. Or is that just a... um, a, a uh, just a rule of the of the world in general. Heavier is better. I don't know. Maybe if you know, you can check in with us the very next time we meet. But now, ladies and gentlemen, just a little bit of uh, news of microplastics. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. Microplastic pollution has been detected in human blood for the first time. Sorry, I hope you're not eating. Scientists have found the tiny particles in almost 80% of the people tested. Not just the people. Their blood. Discovery shows the particles can travel around the body or around the body and may lodge in organs. Organs would be like the Airbnb for microplastics. The impact on health, well, they lodge there. The impact on health is as yet unknown, according to The Guardian, but researchers are concerned microplastics cause damage to human cells in the lab. Air pollution particles are already known to enter the body and cause millions of early deaths a year. Huge amounts of plastic waste are dumped in the environment. Microplastics now contaminate the entire planet, from the summit of Mount Everest to the deepest oceans. Don't you wish we could do that deliberately? Maybe we are. People were already known to consume the tiny particles via food and water as well as breathing them in. They've been found in the feces of babies and adults. But now, blood. Scientists analyzed blood samples from 22 anonymous donors, all healthy adults, well, how do we really know, and found plastic particles in 17 of the 22. Half contain PET plastic. That's commonly commonly used in your drinks bottles. A third contained polystyrene used for packaging food and other products, and a quarter of the blood samples contained polyethylene from which plastic bags are made. Have people been eating plastic bags? Come on now, people. Quote, our, first, our study is the first indication that we have polymer particles in our blood. It's a breakthrough result, said Vlad... No, sorry, Professor Dick Vethach, an ecotoxicologist at the Verge University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. He goes on, but we have to extend the research and increase the sample sizes, the number of polymers assessed, unquote. Further studies of a number of groups are already underway, he says. It's certainly reasonable to be concerned, he went on. The particles are there and are transported throughout the body. He said previous work had shown that microplastics were 10 times higher in the feces of babies, I hope you're not eating, compared with adults, and that babies fed with plastic bottles are swallowing millions, Tom, millions of microplastic particles a day. Millions of microplastic particles. 
We also know in ge- thanks, Tom. We also know in general that babies and young children are more vulnerable to chemical and particle exposure. He said, "That worries me a lot." That's the professor talking, not Tom. New research is published in the journal Environment International. Some of the blood samples contain two or three types of plastic. The big question, the researcher said, is what is happening in our body? Are the particles retained in the body? Are they transported to certain organs? Do they get past the blood-brain barrier? Are these levels sufficiently high to trigger disease? We need to fund further research so we can find out, he says. This research was funded by the Dutch Organization for Health Research. Recent study found that microplastics can latch on to the outer membranes of red blood cells and may limit those cells' ability to transport oxygen, which uh, last time I looked was their job. Particles by volts have been found in the placentas of pregnant women. And in pregnant rats, they pass rapidly through the lungs into the hearts, brains, and other organs of the rat fetuses. Yes, I said rat fetuses. They're cute. You know, I don't mean to disgust you, but rat fetuses are not kind of cute. Only one word, ladies and gentlemen, microplastics. Now, this would be... um, this would be a description of what's going on in a particular country. And I'm not going to tell you which country first, because it's a fun game we're playing here on the show. Armed groups, including the police and one of the country's most powerful militias, are attacking LGBT people with impunity, according to a new report. Quoted by the BBC, cases include abductions, torture, rape, and murder, with LGBT people living in fear of their lives, according to uh, campaigners for Human Rights Watch, which said the government had failed to hold perpetrators accountable. The Interior Ministry denies any such attacks by its security forces, but the 86-page report includes interviews with 54 LGBT People, carried out between June and November last year, accounts paint a harrowing picture of life as an LGBT person in that country, where the community is disproportionately affected by laws against extramarital sex and undefined, quote, immodest acts, unquote, in public. Sounds like the new Afghanistan, doesn't it? You know, since the Taliban took over? It's the new Iraq. Those interviewed describe being arbitrarily arrested by security officials and subjected to physical and verbal abuse. They said in detention they were denied food, water, and medical treatment and not allowed to contact a lawyer or family members. Some of these Iraqi LGBT people said police forced them to sign statements denying that they'd been mistreated. The worst cases involve groups belonging to the umbrella organization Popular Mobilization. That's a powerful Shia-led military unit which became part of the Iraqi Armed Forces six years ago. Sorry, four years ago. Time flies. 
One uh, 31-year-old transgender woman described how she was brutally attacked after being stopped by up to half a dozen men in a Hummer. I said Hummer. They kicked and punched and slapped me all over my head and body. They told me to get up and threw me in a garbage bin. I laid down on the garbage, and they pulled out a razor blade and a screwdriver and poked and cut me all over, especially my bottom, crotch, and thighs. Then, she said, they poured gasoline on her and set her afire before she was saved by neighbors. A 27-year-old gay man told how his boyfriend was killed in front of him. Four men got out of a car. I saw two of them had guns. They all had long beards. They beat him and forced him into the car and drove away. I followed them in my car. They arrived at a big farm, took out my boyfriend, and started beating him. I heard him scream and sob. But wait, there's more. I wanted to help, but I was terrified. They kept beating him for around 20 minutes. Then they shot him five times. The uh, human rights researcher, human rights watch researcher on this subject, said LGBT Iraqis live in constant fear of being hunted down and killed by armed groups with impunity, as well as arrest and violence by Iraqi police, making their lives unlivable. The Iraqi government has done nothing to stop the violence or hold the abusers accountable. Both the Interior Ministry and an official described as a mid-level commander within the PM, that uh, organization, denied their forces had been involved in the abuses. And that you can take to the bank, the Iraqi National Bank. The new Iraq, ladies and gentlemen, we're kind of busting our buttons here in America with pride over what what we helped build. And um, speaking of Rupert Murdoch's Sun newspaper. Here's a little tribute to the Sun. Yeah. 
Don't walk with your girl through the frack sand, though. Don't recommend that at all. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Le Show from New Orleans. And uh, a tribute now to American exceptionalism. We are so special. We think COVID is going away. We're acting like it. Uh, restrictions are being cast aside. Masks tossed away. Um, people, The uh, vaccination rate is going down. That is the number of people getting vaccinated per week here in the good old USA. And meanwhile, in those, that, those parts of the world that aren't exceptional like us, COVID cases are rising. Take, for example, the United Kingdom, our mother country. One in every 20 people are now infected, according to the Office for National Statistics. All age groups are affected, including uh, the old folks. Hospital cases are rising. Vaccines are helping to stop many severe cases, say experts, quoted by the BBC. What's mainly responsible is this new, easily, more easily spread subvariant of Omicron called BA2. It's causing most cases. Easing of restrictions in Britain. And waning immunity from the vaccines could be factors behind the rise as well. 3.3 million people tested positive in the week ending March 12th. Scotland has seen infections level rise for seven weeks in a row. They've now reached a new record high since the pandemic began. One in 14 Scots was infected last week. But, you know, we're Americans. We're exceptional. Ain't gonna. Ain't gonna. No, just ain't gonna. Ladies and gentlemen, you may know, if you watch CNN at all, that they're about to uh, open up a second channel, or a third channel, actually, a streaming channel. Although it, it's not quite really a streaming channel, because it's... They, I think somebody there must have said... How do we do news on a streaming channel, which by definition is available on demand, meaning it's not live? You can be watching something from two weeks ago or two months ago. That's what streaming is. So now, as they get closer to the uh, premiere date, which is this week, they've announced a schedule, which itself is not streaming. You know, they don't have schedules on Netflix or uh, Disney+. Plus. But on CNN Plus, they got a schedule, so there'll be a little not live news um, because it's CNN, and that's apparently, in their eyes, part of the brand. And then there'll be some shows. These would be shows not relating to the label business, um, including some talent that they've poached from elsewhere, um, most especially Chris Wallace, who uh, hopped over from Fox, where he said it was unsustainable for him to stay after um, all the foo-foo-roo about the 2020 election, which continues to this day. The, uh, the big news story of the week, this past week, was the, uh, at least second to uh, the Ukraine war, but a lot of airtime for the um, hearings before the Senate Judiciary Committee of the 
administration's nominee for uh, Supreme Court justice seat, Judge Jackson. And it um, it aroused a lot of controversy and conversation, as, as most of these sets of hearings do these days. I think, personally, it, it all goes back to uh, when the Democrats brought one justice's name into the language to describe a borking. That, that, has, that has fallen out, back out of the language, apparently, but uh, that's what it looked like this week as the Republicans concocted a uh, storyline in which Judge Jackson was uh, unusually lenient in cases of child pornography and child abuse, even though there were um, statistics presented by the supporters of Judge Jackson that indicated other members of the court, current members of the court, had similarly ruled in their days as judges, and that uh, she certainly was was not an outlier in that regard. But you know, I can I can palaver about this all day. Um, there's probably going to be in the early days of the show that they've announced is going to be called Who's Talking to Chris Wallace? Where this will be covered. Now, who's talking to Chris Wallace? And here, talking to who is Chris Wallace? And hello again from CNN Plus Plus Double Minus Plus. Today I'm talking to the best-known South Carolina senator since John C. Calhoun. He's Lindsey Graham. Senator Graham, welcome to Who's Talking to Me? Well, thanks, Chris. It's a, a great honor to be the first guest who's talking to you. Well, Senator, let's start with something you said a couple of weeks ago. You said, and I'm paraphrasing you here because we don't have a full research department up and running yet. You said you hoped somebody would come along and assassinate President Putin. Mm -hmm. Did you mean that literally? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to think of a way that I didn't mean it literally. You mean like assassinate his character? He's done a pretty good job of that himself. Yeah, I, I, I think he could say I was literally saying it literally. Okay, we've nailed that down. Let's turn to this week. When you, well, Chris, I've I've spent the last four or five days talking about. Well, but I want to drill a little deeper about. I've made it clear, I had the greatest respect for Judge Jackson, but you wouldn't let her finish her answer, and I'm not letting you finish your question. It's nothing personal. It's just my way of continuing to speak. All right. Your line of questioning of Judge Jackson focused on her sentences in child abuse cases. Why were you so focused on those particular cases? Chris, don't you think child abuse cases are particularly horrible? Well, of course, Senator, but there are lots of horrible crimes that aren't child abuse cases, aren't there? I mean, for no, example... No I, no, I understand where you're going with this both-sides-ism, Chris, except this list of other horrible crimes is lots of other sides-ism, in my opinion. Maybe you, like Judge Jackson, don't see something especially disturbing in crimes against vulnerable, innocent, sweet, beautiful young human beings... But, 
But I do. Well, of course I do, Senator. Well, but I know you do, Chris. That was just a figure of freedom of speech. I happen to believe in that. I don't know about Judge Jackson, but uh, I happen to be an American. Well, Senator Graham, were you suggesting by your questions that Judge Jackson wasn't an American? I was just waiting for you to finish your question, Chris. I had finished. Okay, good. Usually they're longer. See, when I ask a question, Chris, I'm only doing one thing and one thing only. Serving the people of South Carolina by making full use of the time their senator has been allotted for the asking of questions. All right, but if I may, Senator... Oh, Chris, of course you may. It's your show, at least for a while. Well, I appreciate your confidence, Senator, but... You didn't ask the judge questions about her sentencing practice in any other kinds of cases. That does suggest... What it suggests to me is the abuse of trusting and defenseless young people is particularly evil and threatening to the future of our communities. I feel for those young people, and I would hope maybe our do too. Well, but you voted on three other Supreme Court candidates who also gave out sentences that were less than maximum to... These, these are downy-cheap little boys and girls. If a big old United States senator has a soft spot for them or a hard spot, I think it's a good thing. Maybe you or the judge disagrees. I'm, I'm just trying to ask you a question, Senator. That's exactly what I was trying to do, Chris. We're on the same side here. All right. Well, that's probably as good a place as any to wrap up this conversation, Senator. I think other people who come here to chat with me have at least two big shoes to fill. Thanks, Chris. I just wish that they or you could uh, come with me one time to visit some of these youngsters, but... Uh, of course, that's strictly prohibited. Understood. Next week, someone else will talk to me. Until then, I'm Chris Wallace saying goodbye plus from Washington. Now, news of the godly. The Albany Catholic Diocese concealed reports of child sex abuse for decades and failed to report the abuse to police. Don't tell Senator Graham. Albany Bishop Emeritus Howard Hubbard testified to uh, that concealing of uh, those reports last year, according to transcripts of a deposition released this week. Well, you gotta you gotta review it. Gotta gotta let it uh, simmer a while, don't you? Yeah, of course you do. The more than six hundred page transcript details instances in which the former bishop covered up allegations of priests sexually abusing minors during his 37-year tenure. His tenure ended eight years ago. He provided four days of sworn testimony last year. The deposition was released this week as a result of a recent decision by the Albany County Supreme Court. Bishop Hubbard's testimony reveals decades of decadence, denial, and deception. Nice. Nice uh, alliteration. At the peril of so many innocent, trusting children, in his own words, said Jeff Anderson, an attorney for the survivor who sought the release of the deposition. 300 cases were filed against the Albany Diocese alleging sexual abuse under the Child Victims Act. Ten of those accused the bishop himself of sexual abuse. 
so he had personal knowledge. The allegations against Hubbard date back to the 1970s, with the most recent coming in 2012. He has maintained his innocence. He is a, his attorneys filed a motion to keep the deposition, deposition sealed. Huh. The Child Victims Act extended the statute of limitations, allowing people who were abused as minors to file civil suits against the people they say abused them. There's currently a bill in the New York State Legislature which would make it mandatory for members of the clergy to report sexual abuse. So Albany joins in. Just keeping track. And now, news of Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Do you know about this uh, story about P&O Ferries? It's a company that runs ferries in Britain. And uh, this week, their boss, Peter Hebblethwaite, I said it was Britain, uh, fired all the seafarers that work on the ferries and replaced them with uh, cheaper foreign workers. Well, he's admitted to members of parliament that his decision to fire 800 workers broke the law, without notice broke the law. He said there was, quote, absolutely no doubt, unquote, that under UK employment law, his firm was required to consult unions, unions, before making the mass cuts. However, he said no union would have accepted his plan and it was easier to compensate workers in full instead, whatever in full means. A conservative chairman of the transport committee urged him to resign. Quote, we can't have companies run by people like that. He needs to hand his card in. Addressing a committee of members of parliament, Hebblethwaite apologized for the distress caused by the cuts, but said they were necessary to save the business, which has been losing money. Did he consider raising the uh, price of the... No, of course not. He said workers would receive extremely generous compensation. As part of those settlements, they would forego their right to pursue further legal action against P&O. We did not believe there was any other way to do this, he said. A member of the Kansas House of Representatives has apologized after jokingly asking if a Native American colleague had <laughs> wielded a tomahawk during the floor session this week. An incident came after Representative Ponkawee Victor's Kozad of Wichita, Democrat, was presiding over the House. First known time a Native American legislator has done so. The event was in connection with a bill returning land to the Shawnee tribe. Two other Native American lawmakers spoke in favor of the legislation when the House moved on to the next bill. Victor's Kovad gaveled off the room to ask for quiet. Representative John Wheeler, Republican, turned around before saying he was just che- checking to see if that was a tomahawk or a gavel. <laughs> Wheeler immediately apologized after the remark appeared to draw an uneasy reaction from the assembled legislators. A sentiment he reiterated 
in a phone call. He said he would call Victor's Kozad to apologize when he returned home. Deadline Prince George, British Columbia. The city of Prince George has apologized for the harm it caused to vulnerable people when it removed their structures from a homeless camp. The city also says in a separate statement that it is withdrawing its appeal of court decisions that it refused to issue injunctions against homeless encampments. The city now says it's reevaluating its approach and response to homelessness and the sites where people camp. The Supreme Court judge, a Supreme Court judge in British Columbia, found that Prince George inflicted serious harm on vulnerable people when it removed shelters from an encampment. The city statement says it sincerely apologizes to all those who experienced trauma. The city says it dismantled part of the site, believing that the shelters had been abandoned, and regrets any harms caused by its actions. Who knew? Who knew there was people, there's still people there? How are they supposed to know? How are you supposed to be a mind reader or something? Prince George says even with the best intentions and the support of the provincial government in B.C. housing, it remains an extraordinarily complex and difficult issue. Why don't they just go home? Now, that's Prince George, which is a city. This final apology is by Prince William, who is a person. The Duke of Cambridge, he's also known as. He's expressed profound sorrow over the evils of slavery, saying, quote, it should never have happened, unquote. Speaking at a state dinner in Kingston, Jamaica, he addressed the issue that has dogged him and the Duchess. The Duchess was dogged throughout their ongoing Caribbean tour. Comments represent the first time he has acknowledged the horrors of slavery in the dark days of Britain's colonial past. The Duke said, quote, I strongly agree with my father, the Prince of Wales, who said in Barbados last year that the appalling atrocity of slavery forever stains our history. I want to express my profound sorrow. Slavery was abhorrent, and it should never have happened, unquote. This was just hours after Jamaica's prime minister told the royal couple that the island nation will fulfill its ambition to become a republic, junking the monarchy. The process will require a referendum. Kensington Palace aides, that's where the Duke and Duchess live, believe it is a matter for the people and government of Jamaica. They were met by protests at the Caribbean Military Technical Training Institute near Mobe, Montego Bay. Around a dozen members of the Rastafarian community demand an apology and reparations from the royal family. Well, he said profound sorrow. I don't know if that will satisfy the Rastafarians, but it got him into the apologies of the week. And that's not nothing. It is, in fact, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, news of the war, won't you? Soft, listen to the war. We can listen to the war. 
The amount of methane, that's a greenhouse gas, 30 times more potent at trapping heat than carbon dioxide. The amount of it leaking from a huge U.S. oil and gas producing region is several times greater than the federal government estimates. That's according to a new study by Stanford. Leland Stanford Jr. University, I believe. Using airborne sensors able to detect methane leaks from individual production facilities, the researchers studied the Permian Basin in New Mexico. That's one of the most expansive and highest producing oil and gas regions in the world. They estimate that more than 9% of all methane produced in the region is being leaked into the skies. That's many-fold higher than the EPA estimates. Well above those in the published literature, the EPA puts the leaks at 1.4%, not the 9%. Is that right? I think I just said it. <laughs> yes, I did. That was me talking. Quote, we surveyed almost every oil and gas asset in the New Mexican Permian for an entire year to measure and link emissions to specific anonymized facilities, said scholar in the Department of Energy Resources Engineering at Stanford, co-author of the new paper in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. It's worse than we thought by a long shot. He rhymed his bite. Environmental watchers and energy industry engineers fear that leaks from mines, wells, refineries, storage facilities, and pipelines are vastly underreported in general, but until recently they lacked the equipment to prove it. Now they have it, and they confirm suspicions to a degree beyond the researchers' own expectations. Methane, with these sensors, is quite easy to spot. We're very confident in our results, said the co-leader of the study. And as I say, it is, um, it's much more potent a climate-affecting gas than carbon dioxide, although it doesn't linger nearly as long as CO2 does. Climate change has already made allergy season longer and pollen counts higher. Now, climate scientists at the University of Michigan looked at 15 different plant pollens in the United States and used computer simulations to calculate how much worse allergy season will get. Answer, much. By the year 2100, it's enough to make allergy sufferers even more red-eyed. Allergy season will start weeks earlier and end many days later, and it will be worse while it lasts, with pollen levels that could much as triple in some places, according to this new study in the journal Nature Communications. Nature Communicates? I thought Mom just sat there doing. Warmer weather allows plants to start blooming earlier and keeps them blooming later. Meanwhile, additional carbon dioxide in the air helps plants produce more pollen. I didn't know that. It's already happening. A study a year ago from different researchers found that from 1990 to 2018, pollen has increased and allergy season is starting earlier with much of it because of climate change. This according to the AP. Allergists say pollen season in the U.S. used to start around St. Patrick's Day. Now often starts around St. Valentine's Day. They traded saints on us. How long and how much the uh, season would stretch and the, the amount of pollen would increase depends on the particular pollen, the location, and how much greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions are put in the air. And, you know, spring is now here. Hallelujah. 
Sun is shining here in New Orleans. Birds are singing, beginning to build their nests. New study in the Journal of Animal Ecology shows many species of birds are nesting and laying eggs nearly a month earlier than they did 100 years ago. Are they sneezing more often? We don't know that yet. But by comparing recent observations with century-old eggs preserved in museum collections, scientists are able to determine that a third of bird species nesting in Chicago have moved their egg-laying up by an average of 25 days. As far as the researchers can tell, the culprit is climate change. Or they just think the NBA season is ending earlier. The birds do. The amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere over time neatly maps onto longer temperature trends. And the researchers found that it also correlated with the changes in egg-laying dates. Global climate change has not been linear over this 150-year period. Species have not may not have advanced their lay, their lay date in non-linearity as well. Therefore, we included both linear and non-linear trends within our model, says the chief researcher. We found that the simulated data was very similar to the observed data. They fed a model to look forward, indicated our model did a decent job. That's according to the Journal of Animal Ecology. The changes in temperature are seemingly small, just a few degrees, but these Little changes translate to different plants blooming and insects emerging, things that affect the food available for birds. The majority of the birds we looked at eat insects, and insects' seasonal behavior is affected by climate. The birds have to move their egg-laying dates to adapt, said the researcher. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature for this broadcast... Finally, just a little Ukraine news that you may not have heard. Some Chernobyl nuclear plant workers were permitted to go home after roughly 600 hours at the facility following its seizure by Russian forces. You know they were there working day and night at gunpoint. So I guess they're relieved. And according to the International Atomic Energy Agency, the world needs to come to an agreement on how to maintain nuclear facilities in Ukraine. Without it, there is an increased risk of a severe accident that could threaten both people and the environment in Ukraine and in, and beyond, says the Director General of the IAEA. Quote, I remain gravely concerned about the safety and security of the nuclear facilities in Ukraine. We cannot afford to lose any more time. We need to act now. Unquote. Well, I'm not acting. I'm just sitting here yakking. And that is the end of this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same radio stations. And at a time of your choosing, 
if you're listening on the audio device of your choice. And it would be just like the Chernobyl workers getting to sleep if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to the recently relocated Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this broadcast, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, remember them? And you can get the playlist of the music played here on the show. That's all at harryshare.com. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station, I say, of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans.